You're listening to Chef Pod. This is John Sinopoli. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Chef Pod. My name is Jason Innes. And I'm Wendy Ma. And we are sowing seeds for the future of the culinary industry. Today, we have a fantastic guest. Uh, John Sinopoli and I go back about 18 years in the, in, the Toronto, in, the, in the Toronto restaurant world. And John's doing something really exciting in this, in this COVID crisis. And uh, we're really excited to, be, to have him with us today and to chat about what's going on in Canada, in the world, and the restaurant industry. John, so nice to have you. Welcome. Oh, it's great to be here. Really, really pleased to be here. So, John, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, like you said, we go back 18 years, so you're dating me a little bit. Uh, I started <laughs> cooking in the mid to late 90s and uh, ended up moving to New York City to go to cooking school in 2000, where I went to the French Culinary Institute. I worked at a few places in New York, including Craft, uh, the first year, first two years at Open with Tom Clicchio and Marco Canora. And uh, from there, uh, moved back to Toronto in 2003 um, and then spent 2004 uh, working at Splendido under David Lee with Yannick Bigourdain as owners and then um, during that time was uh, kind of in talks with my now business partner who had a business plan for kind of very exciting concept uh, a Japanese restaurant concept in Toronto that had kind of never been done before um, and me having lived in Japan, but also having professional cooking experience, we said, you know, maybe this is a great partnership. So we kind of went from there. We opened a restaurant called Izakaya at Front and Church. Um, we had that restaurant for three years. And uh, then we, when we closed that, we continued to open new places over the years, including Table 17 on Queen Street East in Riverside, which was open for uh, going on eight years. Uh, we've had Ascari and Oteca at Queen and Caroline and Leslieville for the past uh, eight plus years. Uh, we have had Hilo Bar at Queen and Broadview for the past seven years. Uh, we opened Gardelest about three years ago uh, at Carla and Dundas um, uh, in conjunction with the Crows Theater, uh, Dramatic Arts Theater that we're uh, basically there are landlords there. We're part of that uh, facility. Uh, and we've, yeah, we've done a lot in the past number of years. We opened a brand new 110 seat restaurant at King in Portland last June, um, called Ascari. So same idea as Ascari and Oteca, but more fleshed out food concept, bigger, uh, more larger offering. Um, and of course, you know, kind of a different vibe given its location on King street West. Um, yeah, we also spent three years opening the Bravia Hotel. We were man contracted to be the management. We did all the F&B management for the Bravia Hotel for its first year. And we moved on from there to focus on growing our own company. And I've been doing that until obviously recent events took hold. It sounds like you have a lot on your plate, John. For sure. And, uh, you know, a two-year-old at home uh, wow. as well. So uh, <laughs> that keeps us on our toes for sure. Amazing. And you know, we ran into each other. Like you and I used to run into each other at like at um, the Black Hoof late at night, two o'clock in the morning after yep. service. And funny enough, we ran into each other 
a couple of weeks ago at an amazing event called Chefs for Change, put on by the 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 the, the Stop and um, Community Food Centers Canada. You were part of that dinner. The dinner was absolutely incredible. We ran into each other, and I said, "John, let's catch up. We're doing this podcast. I'd love you to come on." And you said, "Absolutely." And and then you said to me, "Funny enough, I'm teaching at George Brown right now in the evenings. I'm teaching about how to open a restaurant." And I was like, "Let's make that our topic." And um, we, so maybe we can get you to come back later on. We can we can chat about that. But now we've got you on, and you're talking. We've got you here because you started this ama- this an amazing um, uh, this amazing um, collective called Save Hospitality. So do you want to tell us all about that? Sure. So um, you know, it's obviously for people in our business been a, an incredibly difficult month. Um, on um, Monday, March 16th, I believe I, we, you know, we decided on the 15th that we had to close all of our businesses for the safety of our staff, for the safety of our customers and, you know, businesses falling through the basement and like nobody like, you know, everything was taking hold. So we, um, decided to close Monday. We went into work, met with all our managers at all four of our locations and uh, laid off all 97 employees. So it was an incredible difficult, incredibly difficult day. From day one at Izakaya, we still have a few employees with us from the beginning. Wow. Um, been working for us for 15, 16, 17 years. So it is a, uh, it was inc- an incredibly challenging uh, day. And I came home and was commiserating with my partner about like, what the hell are we going to do? Like, do I need to make a career change? Like, what, how long is this going to go for? So much uncertainty. And then I'm on a, whatsapp chat group with a bunch of guys i went to high school with and one of them happens to be the head of the canadian all parts manufacturer association uh and he i kind of reached out to him he's very close to government worked with government every day and i said to him you know flavio what what do i do here like what what is government going to do like what are they what are they saying when you talk to them about what's happening right now and his response actually shocked me he's like they're they're all ears. He's like they need they have no clue how to manage the situation. They're all in uncharted waters. Um, put your put your asks and what you think the solution is down clearly in a letter, and I'll put it in the right inboxes. And he's like, and he said to me something I won't forget. He said the bold will dictate the terms here. People need to be bold and and come out of their box and kind of get out of their normal lane. And say, no, I'm going to be an advocate now. I'm going to go forth and and lobby people and say, no, like normally, you know, the restaurant industry is a very wide, diverse, disparate group of, you know, people. Uh, And, you know, we range from people who run like a three person takeout shop to 250 staff, like restaurants with 500 seats. Um, And coming together on a united set of values is not what we're known for. Um, however, I said, you know, if I can put together something down on paper that people will get behind uh, and I can get enough of my peers and colleagues in, in ownership and other places to stand behind it too, maybe we can put some good ideas in front of government, maybe they'll listen. So I got to work on that. Um, I started sharing the letter that I wrote with friends in the business. It started getting edited and changed based on everybody's feedback. It became very much a collaboration. Um, I reached out to the guys who are friends of mine, the owners of Mercato. I reached out to like Ivy Knight who connected me with a bunch of people running the food and wine industry navigator. Dyson Forbes was very instrumental at the beginning. Um, 
uh, helping to craft the prose of the document and in and also you know contributing to the content as well and you know i basically put down all the things that i thought needed to happen for us to survive and knowing asking for a lot knowing that we would probably only get very little um, and then at some point, one of our suppliers was chatting with Andrew Oliver, the president of Oliver Bonaccini. And um, he says, what are people doing? Like, I don't know what to do here. And this guy's like, uh, the supplier's like, oh, you got, you got to talk to John and Eric because John wrote a letter and they're sending it around. They have all these people signed on. Um, so by, by the time it got into Andrew's hands, we had about 50, 60 restaurants signed on to the letter. My partner happens to be a designer. Uh, she designed a beautiful document which made it very impactful where we were, we were collecting people's <clears throat> logos and then writing down at the bottom how many people they had laid off to, for like full effect. So now that document, although edited from the, its original version, um, currently has well over a thousand restaurants signed on representing over 67,000 laid off employees. Wow. And that's just the tip of the iceberg for the devastation that's happened in our industry across the country. Uh, we're probably now approaching a million laid off people. Um, that does not include all of the support industries that surround the restaurant business and are part of that ecosystem. It does not include all of the farmers who have yet to begin their season, but are in complete limbo as to what to do. Should they plant? Should they not plant? Uh, is there a business to feed in the next three, four or five months? Um, so yeah. And then Andrew Oliver, after seeing that uh, document kind of came on as one of the core kind of, members of the coalition where uh, he and his team contributed greatly to um, you know, the numbers and the, the, uh, the, the suggestions of, of the, what we should be proposing to government. And uh, you know, we have a couple managers on our team who are working basically full time, just managing the document because we get about three, 400 emails a day with people who want to add their names. So it's a full time job, just receiving emails, adding the logos, and doing the numbers on that. Uh, and then managing our website now. We have a website with lots of media links and lots of information for restaurants. We have a sister website created by another partner um, named Rob Fairley, who runs a GFV Financial. They're like a small restaurant accounting bookkeeping firm. And he's gone forward out of his own initiative and hard work and created a re website called saveyourlocal.ca. And that's a resource for restaurant employees to sign on and send a letter to their member of parliament and government officials with the same asks that we have basically to which, you know, all we're basically trying to do is save the jobs of all our employees and save the businesses we've invested in over the past 15, 20 years. John, so it's, it's an incredible kind of document. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. It's an incredible document. I saw the first iteration that went out when you, when you had about 48 people on and now it's yeah. grown and, and we're talking, it's what's incredible is we're talking what, what's happened in this collaboration in three weeks. It's unbelievable. Exactly. And for, for me, I'm a former restaurant owner and you know, I, the, the things that I'm considering that, that what you must be going through as, as having multiple locations, like how are you going to pay your rent? And 
and some of the things that you put in there, some of the, 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 the base requirements that you're asking for the government is what are we, what are the, are the small business to do here? And I love the fact that you started, started the document off by saying the government's looking to bail out the airline industry, but what about the people who make up small businesses in Canada? What are we doing for those people? So do you want to talk for a moment on how, on, on what you, what you with the coalition did to determine what it was that you that the bold needed to dictate. And I love that, that, um, I love that statement, by the way, the bold will dictate the terms. What are some of the things that you had to do? Well, basically, you know, we came to the realization very quickly that unlike other businesses, the airlines or, uh, uh, you know, cruise ships or tourism, other industries that are also gravely affected by this tragedy. We don't want to take away from other people suffering, but we think that our, our industry was uniquely positioned to fail in this kind of, in these kinds of conditions. And mainly because we're a cash flow business, Jason, as you know, if there's people not sitting down with money coming through the door, um, you're dead in the water. You don't just coast or float. You, you literally sink like a rock very quickly. And this wasn't a cash flow shortage. This was a cash flow termination like a complete stoppage. Um, so we re right away we realized, we're like, holy cow, we, we can't pay our rent. Uh, we can't meet our financial obligations with the banks. We can't pay our suppliers. All we had enough money to do, because don't forget, as this was happening, it wasn't like uh, full sales and then stop. The first two weeks of March were dead as, as this started to uh, develop. So we were already working on like 50% of our normal cash flow. And... Uh, we basically had only had enough money to make the pay the last payroll plus everyone's like vacation pay and then with a few bucks in the bank and we're like, you know, and our staff were like, oh my god, like, like, cut this off now. Like, let us we see what the sales are like. Let us go. Let us go on EI. You guys need to save every penny. We want a job to come back to. And the fact that our staff were so selfless and kind of forward thinking um, at the beginning of this goes a long way to say like how how impactful this was even on the people working nobody was blaming the owners for the decisions they were making everyone understood what was going on and so we're different from other small business or other business in general small businesses and the fact that you know our uh, profits are actually our income yeah. the owner's income unlike other businesses like airlines where their profits go to shareholders and yep. huge pension funds and and mutual funds and offshore corporations and all those you know, if those profits aren't met, people don't, you know, people lose, lose their, their investments. House. Yeah. People don't, they lose their investment, but they don't lose their house. Yeah. Um, in our situation, we literally feed our families off of the profits of the business. So when we're yep. talking about profits. We're talking about our income yep. um, and uniquely as well, small business and especially restaurants um, in by large, the ownership of restaurants is, uh, is, inherent in the community. Our community, people who live in the community own the restaurants. There's very few owners of restaurants that are corporations around. Yeah, for sure, there's like the chains and whatever, but we're talking about the independents. These are people who generally live in the neighborhoods in which they own the business. And they go, their kids go to the same schools as their customers' kids. And we pay our mortgage and our rent and our buy our groceries and spend our spending money in our neighborhood. So when all this money just disappears, all this cash flow just disappears, it has an amplified effect on the communities in which the restaurants were. Not to mention the massive negative financial implications it has on the economy as a whole. Um, but, you know, for perspective, 
the airline industry employs about a third of the number of people that the hospitality industry employs. That's crazy. And they're, they're very interested in getting a bailout as maybe they should. I'm, I'm not here to argue the merits or not of that, but the difference is that the airline industry has in Canada, like four CEOs yeah. and those four CEOs sit at the table with the finance minister and all the other decision makers and they lobby their cause. Our industry has a hundred thousand restaurants with about 50,000 CEOs. You know, so when you have 50,000 CEOs, it's really hard to have one voice. So that's kind of where safe hospitality comes in, where we basically have co like brought, coalesced all of these, these owners, not all of them, but like many of them who signed on. And we are lobbying for even the owners who have not signed on. We want everyone who owns a restaurant to survive because we understand what happens if they don't survive. Yeah. And that's the point we're making to government when we speak to government. And I have a call at three o'clock with... Um, the chief of staff of the federal minister of small business, the chief strategist for Bill Moore, Noah, the minister of finance and a representative from Justin Trudeau's office. We're on a call with me and my partner and Andrew. And we're, we're basically, we've given them a whole bunch of numbers, given them our plan, given them a bunch of um, documents to support our, our proposal. And we're basically saying to them, if you don't invest now in us, by the day, people will throw in the towel. You know, 10% of restaurants have already closed for good. Another 18%, they're predicting by the end of this month. That's already 28%. And we're only at May 1st. My suppliers have called me and said, John, if 30% of you don't come back, we're bankrupt. We cannot afford to absorb all the money you owe us. All the receivables out there that we owe, 30 to 40 day terms with all these people. Each supplier has anywhere from half a million to $4 million in receivables owed to them that's not being paid right now. And let's not talk about uh, inventory that they're sitting on as well too. Oh, the, all, it, it's a nightmare. And, and that's just the supply chain. So the supply chain easily collapses at anywhere more than 30% failure rate of restaurants. Um, in addition to that, you know, you've got the fact that people who work in restaurants, as the two you know, are not exactly making a hundred grand a year driving their Ford F-150 to their suburban house and can, can survive a few months without income. These are people who are the most vulnerable in society yep. in many ways, both financially, um, as, as it pertains to health and mental health, as it pertains to addiction. This is a very vulnerable group sitting on the precipice of a horrible, horrible cliff that they're about to be kicked off of. And, if four or 500,000 restaurant employees become unemployed immediately, the strain that that's going to put on the healthcare system, on social services, on all of those uh, budgetary requirements that lay on the municipal governments, cities are going to go bankrupt. They're not going to be able to carry, you know, welfare and, and all those benefits for all of these people, let alone the EI burden on the federal government. And that also doesn't include the fact that if 30 or 40% or more restaurants go bankrupt, all of the property taxes that the city will lose by not collecting property tax on these, well, the property value of all these properties will go through the, 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 the basement. And then the city just ends up collecting less property tax. Um, you know, landlords won't be able to meet their mortgage obligations. Um, it's just a horrible cascading of negative effects. And we're basically trying to convince the federal government or 
just show them that this is what's lying ahead and that acting now with a large sum cash infusion with strings attached with lots of conditions to restaurateurs so that they can pay their landlords now so they can pay all their bills so that they can uh, hire a couple of people back to plan for reopening if they have cash in the bank it will prevent this cataclysmic uh chain of events down the road which is already taking place it's not something in the future it's already taking place there's already we know a, a bar and restaurants the landlords already locked their doors by april 15th like for example right now on all four of our properties we have not paid our rent for april 1st we can't afford it we have an agreement with three of those four landlords but the fourth one hasn't really said anything they're just kind of waiting and seeing but legally on april 15th they can lock the doors and kick us out for not paying rent it's not like uh residential rents where it's hard to evict people commercial rents are very easy you don't pay you're gone so the province really needs to step up here and put a moratorium on evictions for the next 90 days until the federal government can step in with a plan and just give everybody some breathing room uh, some time to think some time to figure out a plan and let the federal government come to the table with a really robust action plan Wow. Um, this is all very new to me. I have been following Save Hospitality on Instagram and social media for a while. And a lot of restaurant colleagues of mine and friends are obviously a part of this coalition. But what you just spoke in these last few minutes to encapsulate this ginormous snowball effect mm -hmm. that the hospitality industry actually is connected to within the whole country, the society, our system itself is overwhelming. And to be able to have come up with all of this in a matter of weeks to connect so many dots is uh, quite incredible. Well, it just, it, you know, the more research we did, the more people we spoke to, we kept understanding more and more and more. And here's why in like a financial nutshell, why restaurants are so important to the economy and why losing them has such a negative effect. And it's the kind of the two sides of the double-edged sword. We are um, very small margin business. On a, a really, really well-run profitable restaurant makes about 10% on the dollar, 10 cents on the dollar. The average restaurant makes 5% margin. Mm -hmm. So that means if you think about it conversely, 95 cents of every dollar that comes into our place, we're spending somewhere else. Yep. We're paying staff, we're paying uh, suppliers, we're paying grease trap removal, we're paying linen guys, we're paying the window washers, we're paying the night cleaners, we're paying our chemical and lease and, and like equipment leases, um, we're paying the flower person. Uh, we spend so much money for every dollar we take in, and all that money to all those other subsidiary in industries just stops. That tap gets turned off when we stop making money. And it all starts with people walking through our front door, sitting down and buying a meal. So our answer to that, <clears throat> as we started to understand that backstopping our non-payment. So if we stop paying everybody and the government had to say, okay, like it's okay if you don't pay, we're just going to figure out how to deal with the landlords or figure out how to deal with your suppliers. Backstopping all those non-payments is an immensely complicated financial endeavor like figuring out how the banks would support all of the landlords figuring out how the banks would support all of the uh, suppliers figuring out how all of the service providers would change tack and figure out a new business like there would be so many other business failures because of our failure wow. um, that really we said hey this ecosystem is normally fed from the bottom it feeds every day 
in normal, in normal circumstances from us getting money and then us paying the people we owe. That's how it has to get fixed. It has to be fixed by feeding that from the bottom instead of trying to pour it on the top and letting it trickle down. Um, all that money will get stopped and filtered and profited on the banks and the people from above and the people on the bottom who really need it, the employees, the service providers, the, the suppliers, they're going to be left hanging. So our solution became very simple. Feed us from the bottom, give us some money based on a formula we've come up with that we think is reasonable um, so that we have enough money to pay our rent right now. So we're all, made whole for April, May, June, um, three months of rent, or actually be kind of three and a half if you include March. Um, it would be uh, give us enough money to pay some of our suppliers to bring them back inside of 30 days. Uh, give us enough money to pay our service providers because right now we have costs we can't stop. We still have to pay insurance. We still have to pay, uh, you know, internet and phones. You can't turn that stuff off and then turn it back on again. Uh, there's so many things we have to still spend money on. And then give us enough money to have some cash in the bank so that we can buy our inventory again to reopen, uh, pay our employees to come in for a few days to prep, train, clean, get ready to open those doors, and then have a bit of a cash runway because we know that when we open, it's not going to be 100% sales again. It's going to be very slow for a while. And if, to give us a chance at survival, we'll, we will need a bit of a cash cushion. So that number we came up with is about 10%. Now, it fits differently for smaller and bigger places. And you know we could eventually, with government, develop a more sophisticated model than that. But just for the purposes of our like proposal, it's very clear and simple. Like If you do a million dollars a year, you need 100 grand. Hmm. And 100 grand will pay your rent for a few months. In, in whatever market you're in, and it'll give you enough money to buy your inventory and start again. And if you think about when a restaurant launches uh, their opening, that's less than what you budget for your opening capital and your startup. So, you know, really, we're, we're not trying to make a profit off of this money. We're just trying to survive. So, so many incredible things that you said there. I hadn't realized that 10% of the restaurants had already closed their doors. I didn't realize that now we're at 18% uh, by the end of the month. So the, almost 20% of the, of the restaurant industry of what you're talking about is shutting down. I know there's so much concern happening with landlords demanding rent. I had a, I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine who works on Bay Street, and he said in his firm, all the partners agreed to take a 35% pay cut. Um, so that wow. everybody, so that everybody could, could could still get paid. They haven't laid anybody off yet. Mm -hmm. But when they but when they went to their landlord, their landlord told them to pound sand. No, nope, yep. we want uh, we want we want our money. So, and I understand they landlords have to pay their investors, and they have to pay and they have to pay their 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 debt as well too. But you know, if we're looking at twenty percent shutdown by the end of the month, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for people when it comes when it comes back to open restaurants. But it's also going to be a lot of empty storefronts and a lot mm -hmm. of empty restaurants. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, 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 believe, I believe you had posted up earlier something that said along the lines of, you know, negotiate with your landlords. Talk to them. Try Because they, <laughs> you're right. Legally, 
they can kick you out if you don't pay because it's very different with your with your leases and if you're than if you're a renter but try and at least have a conversation with them to try and in especially if you're a great tenant right if you're a great tenant and you pay your bills and you pay your staff and you pay every month you'll be able to do that once we come back but we've got to negotiate and we've got to be able to to get uh, to get some kind of deal on the table it actually boggles my mind that some landlords would threaten kicking someone out just because like who's going to take that space yeah like, who's lining up right now to open a restaurant and take that space like nobody so we kind of don't understand that that logic that uh having said that you know landlords may have ulterior motives maybe they didn't want that lease in place to begin with maybe they want to develop the property maybe there's an opportunity to kick someone out this is why the government needs to mandate the action of putting a moratorium on evictions because you can't trust everyone to be acting in good faith yeah i, I think that a lot a lot of landlords are doing the right thing a lot of landlords are working with people, taking only partial rent if they can afford it or whatever, you know, working in the, situ in the situation that uh, they have. And yes, landlords have financial ob obligations too, and we're not interested in screwing them over. Uh, we're not saying, well, tough for you, you're not getting your rent. We're like, we're so sorry. We've never not paid our rent. We've always paid our rent in all the years we've had a lease with you. We want to be your partner. It's very difficult to be your partner when we have no cash flow. So um, that's why the government needs to step in and say, okay, no one's getting evicted for the next 90 days. We'll figure this out. We're not saying that the tenants don't still owe the money to the landlords. We're just saying you can't take action against them at the moment. Um, and then when the federal government hopefully steps up, we can pay them. Right. Incredible. What would what would be the top three things, John, if the government came back and and listened to what to what you're saying? What are the top three things you would like you'd like to hear from them? So provincially, because of course they all have different powers and jurisdictions as to what they can actually do. Provincially, um, the Ford government needs to immediately enact a moratorium on evictions and like a freeze on lease rent obligations. That also includes, by the way, uh, well then the federal government would need to enact on a a moratorium on mortgage payment obligations for retail properties because we have restaurant partners who signed on to this coalition who own the building in which they're in and the bdc the business development bank of canada is saying well you still have to pay your interest and the guy's like but that's 75 percent of my mortgage payment i can't afford any of it now so wh why isn't the government understanding that people have zero income they can't even afford the interest like just put a hold on everything and he's saying it's not like, i'm not saying i don't owe you for my mortgage i'm saying Right now, until this thing is over, I can't pay you. So that has to happen. That's number one, because that gives everyone an opportunity to breathe and sleep at night and not mm -hmm. know that they're going to get locked out and, and be in legal violation of their leases. Secondly, the federal government needs to come to the table with an industry-specific stimulus package. For us, that package is in the form of a forgivable loan. So it's money, like I said, you know, 10% of sales or a, another uh, formula that uh, is similar in outcome. And uh, that means that uh, forgivable loan means that we get a loan. Um, we owe that money back to the government unless we meet all the conditions. And if we meet all the conditions over time, that loan becomes completely forgiven. Those conditions are that we have to pay our rent. We have to pay our suppliers. We have to pay our staff. And once we open, we pay HST and payroll tax. As we pay HST and payroll tax over time, that loan becomes diminished in a formula 
Mm. conversely to the tax we pay. So it's an investment that the government, it's actually really easy math to do in terms of return on investment for the government. If 50%, we currently pay, we do $93 billion a year in business in restaurants in Canada. $30 billion of that $93 billion goes to government at different levels in taxes, property tax, liquor tax, um, in, like uh, uh, payroll taxes, corporate taxes. That's not including income tax that our employees pay. Okay. That's just uh, taxes on the business. If you give us basically 10 or $12 billion now, we're ensuring that you're going to continue to get that $25, $30 billion a year moving forward. If you don't give us that $10 billion now, you're going down to $10 billion a year for the next three, four years. And think of all the billions you're going to lose in income, not to mention the income tax you're going to lose on all the people we employ, which is a million people. Mm-hmm. So it's an easy investment in our opinion it makes complete sense um invest in us now with this forgivable loan if we meet the conditions we don't owe you that money back if we don't meet the conditions we owe you that money back with penalties like we're not asking for free money we don't want you know there's lots of people i'm sure are going to think they can take and when things are good or go down to the bahamas with their hundred grand or whatever we're not we don't want to we want to make sure there's mechanisms in this to ensure that doesn't happen um we want to be responsible for that. We don't take taxpayers' money lightly. However, without that money, the taxpayers will lose big time down the road, and society will lose. Imagine your favorite main street of your neighborhood with half the restaurants it currently has. Imagine how less safe our streets would be if the, the, the restaurants aren't open from 6 p.m. till midnight, and those eyes aren't on the street, and that buzz and bustling of people walking in out isn't there. The streets become darker, they become deader, they become less full of life. Um, and then the people who make your neighborhood interesting and vibrant just can't afford to live there anymore. They're done, they're gone. They gotta find a different sector, a different way to make a living. And in reality, they're gonna be on government assistance for the next number of years till they figure that out. Because the amount of retraining that would have to happen is immense. So for us, that, that, mo- that kind of idea that invest now, so that people still have the confidence to reopen. Because every week that we wait is the week that more people are going to throw in the towel. More people are going to say, I can't do this. I can't deal with the uncertainty. I'm going to go bankrupt now. It's better than going bankrupt later in even more debt. I'm just going to pull the trigger now. Landlord, here's my keys. Bank, sorry, you can't do it. And they'll go get a job and try to pay off their debt another way. Um, And the number of commercial loans that are going to be defaulted on with the banks and mortgages because most independent operators borrow off their homes to build their restaurants. Mm. Um, it's going to be devastating. The math sounds very sound there, John. And, and, and as I'm listening to it, um, front, that should be front row and center. Like that's a no brainer when you approach the government, I can't wait to hear, to hear what, uh, I was going to ask you with, what the next steps are here, but I, I know you have an important call in, in about half an hour, yep. um, where, where they're, they're going to answer those questions for you. Last question before, before we let you go. Well, hopefully last question before we let you go. Um, what can we do? What can, what can the, the, the average person who goes out to restaurants do? How can we help support right now? That's a great question. So uh, the first thing you can do, to be honest, um, is to write a letter to your MP, write a letter to your MPP, express how unacceptable you think it is that they haven't acted on this yet, that they're not considering small business, specifically that they're not considering the restaurant business as the most hard done by in this scenario. Um, 
The second thing you do is like, if people are doing takeout, go buy takeout, like buy gift cards online for restaurants. Um, we're, our company is spending 50 cents of every gift card dollar on our employees who are financially at risk, who can't make their rent, who can't put food on the table, who have kids and can't figure it out. Um, we've got a fund, an internal fund going where we're, we're giving back to our own employees. Um, and then also, um, you know, just raise awareness, make sure that everyone understands what is happening here and all the negative effects that are going on. It's not just a few small businesses that go out of business and people go find other jobs. We're talking about the lives of a million other Canadians, you know, and, and, you know, the, I can spew more stats that will blow you away, but like, you know, the restaurant business is responsible for seven to 8% of the entire labor force of the country, seven to 8%. And we represent 4% of the GDP. Wow. So what that says is for every dollar we earn, we employ twice as many people as everybody else. So we are a job creator more than anyone else. If you let us fail, you're getting rid of the best job creator in the country. And if we were the auto industry right now, about to laying off 800,000 people and about to lose two, 300,000 more, the federal government would be tripping over themselves as to how to figure this out and how to solve the problem. But because we're not three or four CEOs with large lobby groups and unions and, and all kinds of political clout, because we're a very disparate group of very small businesses that can make anywhere from 500,000 to $15 million a year, um, our voice has never been heard. Uh, now is the time for them to open their ears and understand what we're about. It's true, because even me knowing that this is important and how impactful our industry is, the stats and the stories you just shared are astounding. And I just feel like if more people knew about this, not just the government, not just people within our industry, everybody that is sharing that meme that their favorite thing to do was to go to restaurants right mm -hmm. now is one of the favorite memes going around. And if they don't even realize the impact of how much of our money goes back into this industry and this ecosystem. So uh, I think this is very important what you're doing. And even for me, someone who's already spreading this, you've provided so much more information for a platform. And uh, I really, can't wait to see where this takes us. I really think what you're doing is exactly what chefs love doing, which is solving problems, fixing things, and going out there. And you're really walking that walk. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's true. We, we are not people who sit on our hands and stay idle. When there's a problem in front of us, we attack it. Um, that's why when we come up against government, uh, it's very frustrating because they take the opposite tack. They're like, consider, 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 consider. Let's wait, wait, wait. And making a decision is like not something they're, they do naturally. Um, whereas finding out the answer, doing the research, figuring out the facts and, and making the right decision is something we do a hundred times a day during service. Yeah. Um, you know, like so we all understand when you're in service, the kind of decision-making that happens. Um, so yeah, it's true. I think our nature was keenly tied, like, applicable to doing this at the same time um the challenge is convincing the people in power um that you're right and that it needs to be done so mm -hmm. we're, ho we're hope we're hopeful um but we're not you know blind to the fact that it may not happen um so we implore everybody to you know get behind this and really really advocate you know that yes other industries will need help and will need a bailout 
Our argument is that our industry needs it first. Our industry needs it now because the longer you wait, the more the more failures and bankruptcies that will happen. And those are not coming back. Those people will not be able to be recovered in six months to a year. Um, and yeah, like Jason said, there may be an opportunity for people who wanted to open a restaurant with cash in hand to go and scoop up a, a space for cheap now. But you know, the people with the most expertise, with the most experience are the people now that are going to be suffering the most. Mm-hmm. John, when I, when I think about leaders and I think about leadership, there's, there's four things that I think about. And the first thing I think is that a, a great leader is someone who inspires greatness in others. I also think that a great leader empowers some other people. I also think a great leader focuses on collaboration. And I think a great leader has a clear vision. Um, everything that you've said today, John, is so humbling to hear what you're doing and what everybody in your group is doing to inspire leadership and greatness and collaboration and empowerment with others. Um, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing what you're doing. Um, continue to do it. We will share it far and wide. And I just want to say thank you for taking time of your busy schedule to, to, to chat with us. And hopefully we can check back in with you in a, in a week or a couple of weeks and you can tell us uh, how things are going. So I would I would you. love to check back in. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to, to speak to, you know, especially to George Brown students um, and to the next generation of people in this business. Um, uh, we never talked about the course I'm teaching at George Brown, <laughs> which, which, by the way, has become irrelevant very quickly. How to open a restaurant. Um, we've had a few students like, when are we continuing? I'm like, really? Like, you really want to finish this course? <laughs> uh, but we do intend on finishing it. We've told Stephanie in the office, yeah, we will do it. We just, we're not sure when we have the time to do it, but we will finish that class. Eric and my business partner and I were teaching it in tandem, and it was so fun and so inspiring to see both in school, George Brown's young students, as well as like continuing ed, like people with careers and coming, like the amount of incredible ideas. You know, I thought I heard every great restaurant idea in my lifetime. Then you sit in the class with 16 random people who want to learn about the restaurant business. And man, they've got some brilliant ideas. So there's no shortage of energy and inspiration to bring this industry back. There's no shortage of like great minds and, and you know, inspiring people to um, like, put us on the right foot but what the government decides to do in the next two to three weeks will determine the path of that recovery for the next few years mm-hmm. so that's really why we're at a crossroads um but yeah i mean i'd love to talk more about our class next time we're on the podcast and uh please reach out in a few weeks and we'll see where we're at absolutely john thank you so much my name is jason Innes, and i'm wendy ma and you've been listening to the chef pod where we are sowing the seeds for the future of the industry.